0: Greetings, church, and friends of the church. This is the scripture lesson and the sermon from the December 12th, 2021 uh, service of worship of the Valley Forge Presbyterian community, third Sunday of Advent that we celebrated together. Our uh, scripture lesson is from the prophet Zephaniah, and the sermon is on uh, waiting with Advent joy. We like the th- We light the candle of joy on the third Sunday of it. So centuries ago, the prophet Zephaniah said this. Shout aloud, O daughter Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He's turned away your enemies. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall fear disaster no more. Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love. He will exult over you with loud singing as on a day of festival. The Lord will save the lame and gather the outcast, and will change their shame into praise. At that time, the Lord will bring you home and will make you renowned among all the peoples of the earth. The story of Advent is the story of waiting. It's not a passive waiting, but it's a waiting with hope and expectation. It's a waiting that involves action and participation unto that for which we are waiting. Hope and expectation that what God promised would happen will happen. It's not a time to sit back and just wait for God to be the only actor, but to trust in our partnership, to trust in that calling as willing partners in God's work in the world, the work to restore peace. So on the first Sunday of Advent, we lit the hope candle, acknowledging that hope is a trust and certainty that something will happen because there is precedent. There is a logical rationale for some, why something would happen. It's not wishful thinking based on nothing. Hope is, there's, there's a measure of certainty to our hope. We heard Jeremiah's words of hope to the people forced into exile by the Babylonians. Uh, words of his trust in God based on the precedent of God fulfilling what God had promised. God will restore them. God will send the Messiah to lead the whole world to peace. This was Jeremiah's hope, certainty. Second week of Advent, we light the love candle, acknowledging the human tendency to blame God for the bad that happens in our lives, but but then confessing the certain hope of the lamentations that God does not willingly afflict or grieve anyone. And that it is logical and rational to characterize God as love or loving. So now, on the third Sunday of Advent, we light the candle of joy. I wonder what kind of associations or feelings come to mind and heart when we think of the word joy. I would suspect that the most frequent and obvious association for many of us would be to equate joy with a, with what we understand to be feelings of happiness, to think that those are the same. In considering what I would describe as times of joy, maybe I describe returning home from the hospital with a newly born daughter or laughing in the company of friends that feel like family or the elation of having been at a Pearl Jam concert, greatest band in the world, singing at the top of my lungs with thousands of strangers who are my greatest friends in that moment, or that once in a lifetime happiness when the Eagles were actually Super Bowl champions. Were were these things that I was feeling in these circumstances, was that joy, this bubbling up and overflow of happiness in response to the goodness or favorability of my circumstances? Maybe not. The word that the Hebrew Psalm writers and prophets like Zephaniah used to talk about joy, the word that gets translated as to be joyful or to rejoice, it more literally means to feel or demonstrate a sense of triumph, not a sense of happiness, a sense of triumph. It's not the same as feeling or demonstrating a sense of personal, individual or corporate happiness. Happiness is conditional. It's based on the realities of our circumstances, our present circumstances. The newborn, the friends, the concert, the football game, these are all about the favorability of my personal circumstance. As churches, how we feel when we think about pews being full and Sunday school classes being full and singing together, not Pearl Jam, but our favorite hymns of the church. When we think about budgets that are flush, uh, when we think about a life together as congregations, that's pleasing and easy and carefree and fun. Those times that we had as part of congregations were really, if we're honest, connected to happiness, not joy, happiness, when, when our concern was the favorability of our shared circumstances. But that's all about a conditional alignment of our circumstances with our preferences and our desires. Happiness really is about me and us joy is different. Joy is feeling or demonstrating a sense of triumph. Joy is the feeling and certainty that no matter what the circumstances are, we either have or eventually will triumph over those circumstances. Joy is the attitude that develops within us when we become aware of the fact that God is unconditionally and favorably inclined toward all of us with love, forever at work, in and through us, in and through this the rhythms of this world, for the sake of peace. And joy is therefore an attitude of hope that can exist when we are farthest from happiness. Happiness is conditional based on our circumstances, but joy is unconditional, based on God's promises of love and peace. Joy is something we can and do experience where happiness is lacking. It's the conviction that those circumstances are not punishment, will not be permanent, and that they do not define us. Joy is the conviction that Because of God's promise to love and guide us through the challenging circumstances unto a world of more peace that we can and will be triumphant over these circumstances. So Jeremiah that we heard on the first Sunday of Advent and the Lamenter who wrote the Lamentations that we heard on the second Sunday of Advent, they spoke up with words of hope amidst the Babylonian exile. But Zephaniah, the prophet, we consider in this reflection spoke up after that, in the midst of the the period in their life together as Israel, after the exile, the post-exilic period, when the people had returned home, when maybe they were a little too comfortable, a little too focused on their pursuit of happiness, and a lot too distracted away from their identity and calling as God's partners in these worldwide efforts to restore peace and justice to the world. It's like Zephaniah could see the train of this story of God and humanity working together toward peace, not happiness, but peace. Zephaniah could see that story going off the rails and knew that their self-focused, selfish pursuits were going to lead to trouble. He warned the people that their greed and antagonism toward each other and toward other nations and tribes was going to lead to war and conflict and destruction. He warned that if they continued to hoard wealth, to ignore their call to nurture peace with others, that they would be swept away again, an allusion to the exile they previously endured. Their wealth would be plundered, they will not inhabit the homes they built for themselves and their gold and silver would not be able to save them. This is what Zephaniah was warning them would be the natural result the natural consequences of living such self-focused lives. So Zephaniah spoke of how this this way of living, that's more about the pursuit of personal happiness, rather than faithfulness to this larger story that we're a part of, rather than the pursuit of faithfulness to that, had led them astray and had spoiled them. He spoke of how the people had stopped trusting in God, stopped listening to God, Stopped accepting correction from God. Stopped drawing near to God. They'd become oppressive of others, and they'd profane the sacred as they were seeking their own wills and not God's. And so Zephaniah's message in the midst of these circumstances, when the desires of the self, this willful ignorance to God's will for their lives, was leading them toward destruction. His message was not, hey, you better hurry up and do something ritualistically or religiously obligatory, like sacrificing an animal or dumping a pile of money before God or lying around being self-loathing and sackcloth and ashes. That was not what Zephaniah said to do. Rather, Zephaniah called them to gather together, seek the Lord together, seek humility together, seek righteousness together, Seek to do what God had commanded rather than doing only what they wanted to do for the sake of themselves. What God commanded to do, which is to participate in this covenant promise to work together to bring the world into the kingdom of peace. His message wasn't keep worrying about yourselves, only do it now in a self-deprecating way, in a humiliating, and guilty way. It was, okay, get over yourselves and get back to the story. Because of Zephaniah's hope, which is grounded in this conviction that God is loving unto them and unto all the nations of the earth, Zephaniah then invited them to be a people of joy, rather than a people who pursue happiness, to the paradoxical detriment of their well-being. And maybe you know that paradox personally. maybe Maybe you know a loved one who has lived in that paradox. It seems like the more we pursue happiness... The further away we get from joy, the further away we get from hope, the further away we get from well being. So Zephaniah reminds the people if they accept being gathered in God's presence, if they seek humility and righteousness, faithfulness to what God has asked them to do with their lives, then they can be assured that they will triumph over the destruction and the conflict and the loss toward which they were hurtling because this was the direction they had pointed themselves by their selfish actions. If they would stop this runaway train and get back on the right track, headed in the direction set by God and not by their self-focused pursuits, they could be assured that the self-imposed tragedy that was coming would be averted, would be avoided Shout aloud. Rejoice with all your heart. Know deep within your heart that God will lead you to triumph over the things that would have happened if you keep going on this selfish journey you've set before yourselves. Get back to your place within God's story of the Israelites being God's means, of blessing other peoples and nations of nurturing peace rather than antagonism and war. And those who you are turning into your enemies by your self-focus and your greed, well, they'll turn away from you rather than escalating the cycle, the give and take of antagonism. God is in your midst, said Zephaniah. So you need not fear this disaster anymore. That will not be your story because God has saved you, this time from yourselves. And Zephaniah also acknowledged with hope in God's love that even if the damage had already been done, and another nation were to become antagonistic, coming into Judah to steal from their hoarded wealth and to sweep them away, even if this was now an inevitable part of the story that resulted from the human free will, their decisions, their words, their actions that were self-focused, even if that were going to be true, they could be certain, certain that God would constantly be at work in the midst of that natural consequence restore peace. God would work even amidst this thing that they brought upon themselves to get the story back on track. Maybe the people could see this coming, some of them anyway, and maybe they found joy in Zephaniah's promises of God's love that we heard. God will save the lame and gather those cast out. God will guide them from places of shame to places of praise. God will guide them home again, will help to restore their reputation. Instead of being known as self-interested, oppressive, antagonistic, they would once again be renowned among all the peoples of the earth, known as God's beacons and the embodiment of God's peace. With joy, Zephaniah felt and experienced a sense of triumph long before the circumstances of his people actually resolve from something difficult, painful, disorienting into restoration and goodness and peace. As those who have hope in God's promises to work in and through us for the sake of goodness and peace and hope in God's loving nature, we're able to feel and experience the depth of joy birthed out of this hope that others who haven't yet learned to trust and hope and in God, struggle to feel and experience. When our individual circumstances are hard, painful, challenging, exhausting, when there's an illness, a death, a loss of vocation, a dislocating transition away from what felt like home, a challenge that seems difficult, if not insurmountable, before these circumstances actually resolve, we're able to feel and experience a sense of triumph over them. Before the renewed health, before the new season on the other side of grief, loss and trauma, before we settle into a new place, before we actually overcome the challenge, we can still feel and experience this thing inside of us that knows that we will triumph over this hard and challenging thing. It will not end us, it will not stall us, it will not define us, it will not be permanent. That's joy. When our corporate circumstances as congregations are hard and painful and challenging, when we experience our witness as congregations in the community, being less alive, less healthy in the community, when it, when it feels like something about us is dying, when it feels like we're, we're being swept away from ways that we used to feel at home, when we're facing a challenge and changes that seem insurmountable, when our natural tendency to seek our own happiness rather than seeking to be faithful to what God has asked us and called us to do, when, when that propensity to, to focus on the self distracts us, derails us, leads us toward harm and our own destruction, we turn to God with humility and we can feel and experience this thing inside of us that knows we will triumph over this hard and challenging set of circumstances. This will not be permanent. God's love will guide us home again and restore our reputation and our witness and we will be renowned. As individuals, we know the painful and challenging parts of our circumstances. We all know Illness and grief, relationship estrangement, anxiety, difficulties, making ends meet. But we're not those who face these challenges of life without hope. We trust that God's love will guide us through these seasons. That we will not stay stuck in them. They will not be permanent. There will be life, new seasons of life on the other side of this challenge. Whether that's on this earth or it's in the next and the unfolding of eternity with God on the other side of the veil in ways that we can't yet understand. We can feel and experience a sense of triumph over these challenges before they actually resolve into new seasons of life. We may not be at this part of our individual stories yet, but we have a certain hope that God will lead us there. And with joy, we trust in that ultimate triumph. We trust that good will win the day. As a congregation, we know that we in Valley Forge are not beyond the challenging part of our current circumstances yet. We're not past the part where our the health of our witness feels compromised, where we're fearful of death, where we fear being disconnected from the ways that all that we've done and where we do it feels easy and like we're at home where we're facing change and challenges that seem insurmountable. We're not past that part yet. But with hope in God's love and call, we experience a profound joy in this place in knowing that we will triumph over these challenges. We will be saved from the future toward which we pointed ourselves toward which so many congregations have pointed themselves, not on purpose, but slowly and steadily over the decades, turning a focus inward, thinking too much about styles and preferences, getting farther away from our call and our mission. We pointed ourselves in that direction, but it does not define us, and our story will not end with this Witness dying along with those who hold these preferences. We will be restored to a new home, a new witness. We will gather to worship. We will be sent out to serve as God's willing partners in the work of peacemaking right here in our community because we intend to turn to God. A reputation will be restored. And we will contribute to the restoration of the reputation of the larger church in the world as we do our part here in King of Prussia. As we embody in our actions and our words that we are not the self-interested church that that people have learned to assume that we are in pursuit of our own happiness as individuals uh, or as an individual congregation. But instead, that we're interested in doing God's good work and restoring peace and justice in our community. And as the community learns that what we have to offer them is not ways to discover more happiness by what we can do for them, but instead how to discover more joy and finding themselves in this most amazing story of a God who seeks to call them into this work, larger work of peace beyond themselves. The story of Advent is the story of waiting, not passively, but with hope and expectation. that What God promised would happen, will happen. We're in this season as a church. We believe that God has promised us a future that looks different than our past. We're not there yet. We're waiting for it, but it doesn't mean it's a time for us to sit back and just let it magically happen. But to trust in who we understand ourselves to be as partners in God's good work to restore peace in this world, to allow the joy to bubble up within us as we experience and feel a sense of triumph already over all those things that stand in our way before they actually resolve. So God help us. to God be all glory. In our Advent prayer, come Lord Jesus, call us to humility. Righteousness and joyful faithfulness. Peace be with you all. Be safe, be well. Take care.